Bibles to 1 Kings 21, 1 to 7, and then 17 to 20. If we could stand as we read the Bible, that would be uh, something we used to do back in the day. First uh, Kings 21, 1-7. It says, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spoke, or spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said to her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel's wife said unto him, Dost thou govern? Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thy heart be married. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And 17 to 20 says, The Lord of the Lord came unto Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he is gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, in the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to the work evil in to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Let's uh, let's pray. That's one of those stories that we don't like. But let's pray together that God would speak to us and, and uh, help us understand this today. Jesus, hallelujah. God, we thank you for your presence that's here. God, your spirit and your anointing. I pray, God, that you would continue to work in, in our midst. God, I pray that you would uh, anoint our ears to hear. I want you to have us to hear and I have to say it. God, I pray that everything be clear. Let your will be done the rest of the service. Help us to trust you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can grab a seat if you want. Um, last couple of sermons on Sunday, um, we're kind of been talking about the the big idea that God is faithful, and we've been looking at it from different angles. Um, different, different angles that maybe we, we are used to or we think about when we say that God is, is faithful, and today's not going to be any different. Um, and I'm going to do this thing that I hate, where you read something from the Bible and then you don't talk about it for a while. Um, we'll come back to this, I promise. Um, but uh, this is probably going to be a bit of an emotional roller coaster of a message today, and you may disagree with me, and that's okay. I'll be fine. I'm um, just trying to do my best to explain what I've 
uh, what the word says. So, the title today, God Sees All, which is very ominous and sort of uh, alarming if you think about it, right? He's watching. <laughs> if you're into conspiracy theories, it's kind of creepy. Big Brother's watching kind of thing. Um, <laughs> our phones are listening to us. I don't care what anyone else says. I don't care what the studies say. I've said a thing and I've seen an ad for it. <laughs> We've got this kind of um, <laughs> gnawing fear and worry in the back of our minds that we're being watched. And I realize that, as I say, God is watching and God sees all. It can kind of be a bit off-putting on the surface because we kind of are living in this paranoid society and world you know, that we're in. And hopefully by the end, we'll see this as a positive thing. The Bible teaches us that God is all-knowing. And um, I don't know if you remember, but back in the day, before we had cell phones and we had the internet at our fingertips, if you wanted to know a thing, you had to like go to the library. Do you remember? Do you remember going to the library? You had to go find a book. You had to go and hope that there was a book there on the thing you wanted. I remember having to do projects for school and like the library didn't have any, so we had to go to another one. That's wild. Imagine that. Crazy. And I know you may think I'm some young whippersnapper <laughs> up here, but there was a time when I was growing up that we didn't have the internet. I know, I know you just... Like, these young guys. When we did get it, it wasn't like it is now, you know. It was slow. We didn't have it in our pocket. And when my wife and I were dating, we didn't even have cell phones. I don't even know how to how that works. When we got them, you couldn't even text like now, you had to do like the numbers. Press two like three times and it was horrible. <laughs> what a time to be alive. I remember like school projects we had like on ancient Egypt or something. We'd have to go to the library, hope there was a book there and crack it open, you know, crack open the big old encyclopedia Britannica. Remember those guys? We had a, we had a set at our house, but it was, it was a little older than the one at the library. People used to come around and try to sell those. You remember that? What happened to those guys? What a day. We'd have to read newspapers and listen to the radio for news or watch TV if you're one of those rebels. <laughs> Just joking. We were very limited in what we could know and find out. Now we've got, you know, the internet, uh, phones. Uh, you would think that would help us, and it's not any better. There's too much information, and it doesn't make any sense. And there's arguments and facts, studies, for whatever you want to believe. For example, um, this week I looked up why is coffee good for you? And it tells me moderate coffee intake, about two to five cups a day, that's moderate, I don't know what excessive is, is linked to lower likelihood of type two diabetes, heart disease, liver, um, endometrial, possibly cancers, Parkinson's disease, and depression. It's all even possible that people who drink coffee can reduce their risk of early death. And then for fun, I searched out why is coffee bad for you? 
Coffee containing caffeine can cause insomnia, nervousness, and restlessness, stomach upset, <laughs> nausea, and vomiting, increased heart and breathing rate. Other side effects, caffeinated coffee is possibly unsafe when taken by mouth for a long time or in high doses, high doses, more than four cups a day. Remember it was two to five was moderate, now. Is it good or bad? I don't know, but I like it. <laughs> this is what we have now. We don't know. You want to know if something's good? Well, look it up and it'll tell you it's good. You want to bad? It's, we're no better off. With all this information, we're no better off when we can find support for whatever thing we want to believe. And it's no better. Maybe we should go back to the encyclopedia salesman. <laughs> I don't know. And even so, the only one who knows everything, the only one who sees everything, that knows how it actually is, is God. And so the fancy preacher word <laughs> that we use for all-knowing is omniscience. So omniscience means having uh, the total knowledge or knowing everything. Hebrews 4 and 13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight. We are all naked and exposed in the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So the Bible tells us that there's nothing that's hidden from God. And in a way, that should bring us some comfort. If you're living a double life, that may concern you. And you may be a little bit afraid that he sees the things that no one else knows about. But if you're living for God and if you're following him, this should bring us some sense of comfort and peace. And we know that God doesn't change, right? The Bible says that. And so if he's always had all knowledge, he still does. And this should be comforting because he knows what is happening. He knows what we do not know. When we get in situations and we try to figure, figure it out and we, we try to get out of them and we try to figure out how God can step in and, uh, and work and how God should step in and, and do this thing and how God should get us out of whatever we find ourselves in. And we say things um, like if I was God, I'd do this or I'd do that. You know, I just took this person out, all the problems we solved. If I just did this, if I just had a million dollars, everything would be fine. If I just did this, if anyone ever? We say things like that. But that really wouldn't fix it because sin is the problem all the time. And he's already taken care of that. If everyone would just come to him and repent, then all these problems that we're facing would be gone. Wars, fighting, racism, division, hate, abuse, all that stuff wouldn't exist if we would just come to him. He's already... Anyway, but all the things that we wish that God would step in and, and fix, you know, we, we come up with these plans in our minds and how God can fix these things and get us out of these jams, but it never works that way because he knows the whole thing. He knows more than we do and he sees the big picture. Story time. There is a woman named Wendy and her husband had passed away unexpectedly while they were pastoring and after um, she... You know, God worked in her life and she moved on a bit. She moved to New York and the move was a good change and God gave her or provided her with a, a nursing job, which she did well at. Uh, but her son, Keith, he had been waiting for a, a heart transplant for about four years and he had no way of, um, in the States, no way of paying for or getting the health, uh, the care that he would need after the surgery. 
And uh, when his mother was in town visiting, she asked him, I'm going to need here to come, uh, need to come here to help you uh, to get your transplant. And he was a bit startled and he was, you know, a strong, independent feller. And he, um, you know, said, you know, I would never ask you to do that. I'd never ask you to make that sacrifice. And as they were, they were talking, um, their pastor walked over and joined in the conversation after he you know, heard what they were talking about. He told them about a meeting that he had just been in, and that week a, a group of church leaders had been trying to come up with a plan to get Keith the help that he would need. And they decided that it would only work if they could somehow get Wendy, uh, his mother, to move back to help. But she would need to quit her job and move back to where, where he was. And within two weeks of that conversation, she was offered two jobs, and both made it possible for her to work from home and be um, back where Keith was to help him through the transplant process. And within a few months, she moved, and everything went well and smooth, and he got the help he needed. He's fine. and God. So in this story, God sees the needs of his people. When we seek to please him and care for one another, he works out all the details. That's what he does. And in that moment, it's like, how's this going to happen? And she's probably rocking her brain, and the church was, and when God just works things out, that's what he does, because he can see the rest of the, the story. It never happens the way that we think it should. You know, it. he sees the whole picture, he sees it all, and he knows what we do not. And a lot of times we want him to work on our behalf, but there's other people too that also want him to work on their behalf. And sometimes our behalves don't mesh. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? But God sees the whole thing and he works it all out the best way that it can. And that means, you know, if he sees all this stuff, it means that he has the answers for us. He has solutions that we can't even imagine. Or think about it. Ephesians 3 and 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He is able to do more because he knows more. He knows the whole story. And he can and he, work, he will work through us to do it if we allow him. And so the story that we read at the beginning of 1 Kings, it's one of those stories that have always kind of bothered me. There's a good guy. Naboth, and he gets killed for no reason. And that just seems to be it. He, he just, that's it. He, he stands up for, for the right thing. He gets killed. Ahab gets what he wants. It doesn't seem right. So we're going to kind of look at this a little closer and see what we can learn about the faithfulness of God. Because in this story, it doesn't look like he's faithful. And we've all been through things where we're like, maybe God let me down. Maybe me feel like that. We don't always say it out loud, but this has happened, and I don't know why. And I'm not going to be able to give you the answers to why, but hopefully maybe we can see that there's a bigger picture. Um, so we have this man named Naboth, and he's got a vineyard that's close to the palace of Ahab in Samaria. And if you remember from the last couple of messages, Ahab was a pretty wicked king. He was, the Bible says, worse than all of the kings before him. And there, there was a vineyard that Naboth had, and he had inherited it from his fathers. And in those days, if you owned land, you were rich. Most people didn't own land, except you know where their houses were. And 
if they were farmers or they kept sheep or whatever, they often would just rent the land from whoever owned it. And, uh, and that's how that would work. They would have to give them up, up proceeds and all that. And so Naboth, owning his, his own vineyard was a, was a big deal. It wasn't like he could just go you know, buy another one. It was, it was something that was near and dear to him and his family. It was something that was passed on for generations. And verse 2 of chapter 21, it says, And Ahab spoke unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard that I may have for it a garden of herbs. Just wants to destroy it and plant some dill or whatever. Oregano, I don't know, parsley, garlic. I don't know. You just, why? Vineyard, anyway. So he wants to do that because it's near my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seemed good to thee, I will give thee uh, the worth of it and money. So Ahab, he offers to get um, Naboth a, another vineyard or to give him money. But it's not the same, right? There's something about having your, your own. There's something about a thing that's been passed down. This is near and this is dear to the heart of Naboth. And we can... Um, you can look at the story like this. Some of us, we've been, we've been in this thing, this church, this relationship with God for a while. We've been living for God for a while. We've been in church uh, a few years, and, and some of us, we've grown up in this, and this is all we know, and this is what has been passed on to us. And there is going to come a time when the, the enemy, and this Ahab, the enemy, um, the enemy will try to take this from you, this faith, this relationship with God. There's going to come a time when you will try to take what's been passed down to us from our fathers and the faith, from pastors, from men and women of God. And he's going to offer you another vineyard. And he's going to offer you something very similar. It looks very much like what you know. It looks very much like what you've been given. It looks and sounds very much like this faith and this truth that you've inherited and you've been passed on or passed down to it, but it's not the same. And he's going to offer you this and that, and he's going to try to get you to give up the faith and give you something that's very similar and try to give you your, your another vineyard. Well, don't sell the vineyard. Don't give up your Inheritance. This is just a little sidetrack. Don't give up your inheritance that you've been passed on. Ephesians uh, 1, 11 to 14 says, In him we have an, obtained an inheritance, having, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that, when, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So Paul says he's given us, Jesus has given us salvation. He's given us the Holy Ghost. He's given us a promise and a hope of heaven. That is our inheritance. Don't sell that for something else. Hold on to what you've been given. Stay faithful. Stay faithful to Jesus. Stay holy. Stay faithful to the house of God. Stay faithful in giving. Faithful in prayer. Faithful in fasting and the word and worship and praise and holiness. All oh, this vineyard is just as good as the one that you've got. No, it isn't. 
Don't let the enemy convince you that something else is just as good as his faith and this inheritance that you've been given. There is only one truth. There is only one way. And I don't care what anyone else says. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There is no other way. There is no other vineyard that's as good as the one that you've been given. We are too willing to give up what he's given us for something that looks and sounds similar. And we don't pray like we used to pray. And we don't fast like we used to. And we don't give and love and support each other like we used to. We don't worship and praise and intercede and operate in the gifts of the Spirit like we used to. We don't push. We don't wait on God like we used to. And we'll stay home and we'll watch online and, because it's the same. Only it isn't. It's supposed to be for people who physically cannot make it out or people who are sick or quarantining or folks looking for a church. It's not so we can sleep in and stay home in our pajamas and catch it later in the afternoon. That's not what it's for. No offense. Well, yeah, whatever. Get offended. Don't sell out. We are in danger of selling what we have been given by God for a cheap knockoff Christianity that looks sounds and feels good on the surface but there's no substance and it's not the same so don't sell out what you've been given hold on to it Naboth had a vineyard and Ahab wanted it and God had already shown mercy to Ahab in first Kings 20 and instead of being grateful Ahab in his wickedness became more selfish and God knows that the enemy has a plan and God knows that the enemy is out to destroy he knows that he's seeking who he may devour uh, John 10 and 10, it says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. The God, God knows the, the plans of the enemy. See, he knows everything. Not just what we're doing. He knows what the enemy is doing as well. There is nothing that's hidden from God. And in this story, Ahab, he starts moping and being all depressed because he didn't get his way. What a guy. And Naboth refused to sell him his vineyard. Four, five to, or four and five verses. Four and five. Ahab came to his house heavy and displeased because of the world, the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken unto him. For he said, "I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers." And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. And Jezreel's wife came to him and said unto him, "Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread?" And so his lovely wife Jezzy, she comes up with a plan. How do you destroy someone who's done nothing wrong? How do you do it? You make up a story about them. Right? Easiest way. Oldest trick in the book. You want to take someone down? Yeah. Make up a story. What better way? The tale is old as time. People are still doing it today. False accusation. Just make something up and people love a good juicy story gossip story let's bring them down we love a good rumor we love to jump all over that and destroy people who are in our way there's all kinds of stuff in this story <laughs> there's eight to nine that shows he wrote letters in ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters to the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with naboth so she writes these letters in ahab's name sent it to all the people that know naboth that doesn't matter it should matter Apparently it doesn't. And she wrote the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth and high among the people. And set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king. 
And then carry him out and stone him that he may die. And the men of his city, even the elders and the nobles who were the inhabitants of this city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them, and as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them. And she just makes up a story. He's blasphemed God, he's blasphemed the king. They accuse him of blasphemy which is punishable by death. The same thing that they accused Jesus of a few years later, interestingly enough. And all the while, Ahab does nothing. He just lets this happen. He sits around and lets this thing happen. And this is the hard part of the story. It works. Naboth is killed. Jezebel's plan works. As far as we can tell, evil appears to win. This is what is hard for us to swallow. Because to us, death is the end. It's over. A good man dies. A good man, he held on to what he was given, he stood up to the enemy, and he dies for it. What's the point? And when we look at it that way, it's bad. If we see death as defeat, it's, it's bad. However, this is the part you're not going to want to hear. God is more concerned about our souls and anything else. And Naboth, yes, he died, but he died living for God. Naboth died doing the right thing. He's what we call a hero. Right? For a child of God, dying is not the end. Paul says in Philippians 1 and 21, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Naboth died without compromise. And that is what is important. He lived right. He did the right thing. And when we do that, we win. The enemy doesn't win. Did the enemy win when Jesus was crucified? When the disciples were martyred? No. To live is Christ and to die is gain. We have a hope in Jesus that surpasses death. 1 Corinthians 15 O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is victory. If you're living for God, the enemy cannot destroy you. He may kill you, but he does not destroy you. And so with Naboth, God saw the whole thing. And it bothers us a bit because it, it seems like God doesn't care. He didn't intervene and save Naboth like we would have wanted him to. But he saw. And he had a different plan. Nothing is hidden from him. Remember, God shows this to Elijah. Ahab's best friend. No, that was sarcasm. Ahab hated Elijah. 1 Corinthians 4 and 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and make manifest the counsels of the heart. Then shall every man have praise of God. What that basically means is we don't know everything. We can't see everything. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Only God knows. So we need to trust and don't judge. Don't decide that you know the story. You know what's best because you don't have all the details. There's hidden things. There's things that you don't know about. 
So stop jumping to conclusions. Stop assuming God let you down or he's not doing anything or he's not working or he's not answering because it looks a certain way right now. As far as Naboth knew, nothing was going to happen. God didn't do anything. As far as Naboth's family knew, God didn't work like they expected them to. They lost, I don't know if he had a wife and kids, but they lost a father for no reason, if that's the case. They lost the husband. That's the case. And God spoke to Elijah and he sent him to Ahab to deliver this message. Uh, 17 to 24. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Arise, go down and meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs lift up the blood of Naboth, the dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up, and I will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. That's pretty intense. So God uses the death of Naboth to utterly destroy Ahab in Israel. Just like Stephen. When Saul was there holding the coats, Stephen's death seemed senseless, but there was something about what that man said that affected people around. And all the persecution the church faced, on the surface it looks terrible. They're being murdered, they were martyred, and all this stuff. But it was causing the gospel to spread even further. We don't always see the whole thing. And God uses the death of Naboth to utterly destroy Ahab and Jezebel. We even look at the story and say, what a waste. Poor Naboth. But he died living for God. He died doing the right thing. And maybe it was a little earlier than he would have naturally. But God saw this whole thing, and this was the straw that broke the camel's back. This is the thing that destroyed Ahab and Jezebel. It wasn't the altars to Baal. It wasn't the death threats on Elijah's life. It wasn't the idols and false doctrine. It was the attack on Naboth that destroyed them. And God responded to that. And yeah, maybe this wasn't the plan we would have had, but God used this to judge and ruin the enemy, the wicked king and queen. And on the surface, it looks like evil has won because a good man died. But deeper... We see that God wins. Naboth's with him now. Ahab and Jezebel, the enemy, are, are destroyed. On the surface, when Jesus was crucified and died, it looked like evil has won. But we know that God used that to defeat the enemy once and for all. Naboth did not die in vain. God saw the whole thing and God worked through the whole thing. And we, it's never like we plan it. It's never like we see it. And it's never like we want it to be. But it... He always has his way in the end. God sees all, Trisha. And this should comfort us. 
Because no matter what it looks like right now, God is in control. He sees all and he knows all and he's ahead of the enemy. And we can say like Joseph to his brothers who tried to destroy him in Genesis 50 and 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it to good. Or like Paul in Romans 8 and 28, we all know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God is faithful and he sees and knows everything. He doesn't work in the ways that we think he should. He doesn't work in the ways we want him to. And so we need to trust him and live to please him because he is working. He sees, he knows. One more story. <laughs> the only survivor of a shipwreck was washed up on a small uninhabited island. And he prayed fervently for God to rescue him. And every day he scanned the horizon for help, but no hope was in sight. Exhausted from his effort, he finally resigned himself to living out his life on the island all alone. Eventually he managed to build a little hut out of driftwood for protection from the elements and to restore his few possessions. Uh, one day, after scavenging for food, he arrived home to find his little hut in flames and the smoke rolling up to the sky. And just as he thought things could not possibly get any worse, they did. And suddenly everything he had was lost. And he was stunned with grief and anger. And he said, God, how can you do this to me? He simply could not believe that God would allow this to happen to him with all that, he had, that had already gone wrong in his life. And early the next day, he was awakened by the sound of a ship approaching the island. He could hear its foghorn blaring from beyond the coastline. And soon, a, a small group of sailors arrived in a rowboat, and they had come to rescue him. How did you know I was here? He asked the sailors. We saw your smoke signal, they replied. And it's easy for us to forget that God sees what we don't see. To that guy, this is the end. It's a mess, but God knows that there was a boat out there. And all they needed to see was the, the signal. Our human eyesight is limited by oh, barriers, walls, doors, horizons. You can only see so far. In our humanity, we may forget that God is not limited to what limits us. Regardless of how bad life gets, at times we need to remember that God sees it all and is working for our good beyond what we can see. So I hope that story of Naboth makes a little more sense. We need to remember that God sees and he knows and God is faithful. So as we end our service, Tonight, tonight, today, this morning, whatever it is. I wonder if we could take some time in prayer. Now we've got things that we're facing, things that we're going through, things that don't make sense to us, things that we're frustrated with, that it seems like God's not doing anything. Why hasn't he fixed this? Why hasn't he rescued? Why hasn't he healed? Why hasn't he done these things? And let's submit to him again today. And let's let him have his way. And reaffirm our trust in him and say like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He is in control.
He knows it all. We do not. Even though we think we do. We do not know it all. All we can do is trust. And all we can do is surrender. So let's do that this morning. As I rescue this child. Let's take some time. We're going to open the altar. If you want to come and pray. If you want to pray in your seat. Pray as a family. Whatever. Let's just pray together today. Let's surrender to him and trust him. He is faithful. He's going to work in this situation that we don't quite understand. He's, he sees it. He knows it. He's working. Let's pray today. Jesus, thank you.